Before we get started, After the Monuments is proud to receive support from VCU Massey Cancer Center. Massey Cancer Center wants you to imagine a future without cancer. All it takes is one, a revolutionary idea, a promising clinical trial, or a new breakthrough. See how Massey is developing new approaches to prevent and treat cancer for every person in every community. Learn more about this future for everyone at MasseyCancerCenter.org. Before we get started, After the Monuments is proud to thank Team Henry Enterprises for their support of our show. Team Henry Enterprises is a black-owned contracting firm specializing in office, retail, medical, multifamily, and higher education construction of all scopes and sizes. In the wake of the George Floyd protest, Team Henry is the very firm contracted by the city of Richmond to take down the Confederate monuments in Richmond and by many other municipalities to remove other Confederate monuments around Virginia and throughout the Southeast. Learn more about Team Henry and how they can help your community rebuild, renovate, or design at TeamHenryENT.com. I'm Kelly Lemon. And I'm Michael Paul Williams. And welcome to the After the Monuments podcast, where we look at events and news about race in a historical context and see how, too often, history repeats itself. Hey, it's Kelly Lemon with another episode of After the Monuments podcast, a real talk about race with Kelly Lemon and Michael Paul Williams. And we're doing this one a little bit differently because we had to get all of these guests in and with time restraints and what we got going on. Hey, we we do it the way we do it. And I am just excited to have Sheba Williams up here. And we are talking about marijuana justice reform to be honest, all things marijuana as it is a hot ticket item across the nation, but more importantly, right here in uh, the state of Virginia. So, Sheba, can thank you for taking the time uh, to be on this this podcast. But more importantly, congratulations to you. Um, you are out here really doing the thing. You're talking the talk. You're talking the walk. And you're making sure that people understand what's happening with these laws. So can you tell us a little bit about your company and what you've been doing with marijuana justice? Justice and reform. Good morning. Uh, my name is Sheba Williams. I am the founder and executive director of No Left Turns. We are a reentry organization that works with individuals who are being released from Department of Corrections. We also do some pretrial support for individuals who are facing felonies in the state, and we also do advocacy around all things criminal legal system related. Uh, we really got into the cannabis conversation because Governor Northam put $25 million into the cannabis bill for expungement. Mm -hmm. Expungement has been my goal since I started this because everybody says we can look at a record and make a decision based on one person, but nobody does that. We know that the bias exists, and if they don't have access because they don't need access, mm -hmm. then that is the goal. Um, they put the money into that bill. And I had to read a 530-some-page document to understand all of the things because most people won't read it. And the education comes from places where uh, people won't always give you the, the information to make your own informed decision. So that's how we got involved. Yeah. Uh, we started in 2016. We're coming up on our year six on May 16th. So um, we've done a ton for individuals who are being impacted by these justice systems and it comes at a cost of just looking at all of the things that need to be changed. Mm -hmm. So we got into advocacy probably about four years ago because it was directly related to the, the direct services that we provide for individuals who are being released. Yeah. No Left Turns is the name of your organization. Um, how did you come up with that name? And 
you know, also share, there's a personal story behind why you're doing this work, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So No Left is not NASCAR related. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people think that it is NASCAR because there are no left turns in NASCAR. I never knew that yeah. until I was talking to somebody about it. But No Left is actually felling backwards. Mm. And before we got into the language of how we address people who have been impacted by court and justice systems, um, our logo, our slogan was turning felons around. And you used to see the blue Um, no left turn sign with the cross in between it. But we don't use that language. We address people as people. Um, But we had already done the brand. We had already (laughs) done all the branding and it it just stuck. And when people think about it, the goal is to so-called do right. Mm -hmm. So no left turns is the brand. That's how we came up with the name. I, I wanted something to make people remember that the goal is always to go in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. And personally, this speaks to you. Um, because you family member, correct? I mean, you were, or, or just in general, just out there helping the community. How did you get involved? So initially, um, at the age of 10, both of my parents were arrested. My dad did 19 and a half years in Department of Corrections. My mom only did six months. Um, I lost my mom on election day last year, but she was still being denied housing at the age of 63 for something that she was convicted of in 1989. Uh, My husband went to prison at the age of 15. He was tried as an adult, sentenced to 74 years. He did not learn the law until he got incarcerated. He ended up appealing some things that he was not guilty of and was released after 10 years. He came out, got in trouble, did not have access to uh, the programs like No Left Turns, and he went back for another eight and a half years. So by the time he was 36, he had done more time in prison than out. And myself, I was wrongfully convicted of a crime of embezzlement in 2004, uh, just based on the fact that someone with a previous fraud conviction got caught red-handed, stealing from a job that we worked at. Um, She had been there six years before I started. She'd been there the whole two years I was there. She was there two years after I left. And when she got caught red-handed, she said, I didn't do this. Sheba did this. And and being the only black employee in the company— Um, I was tried and I was convicted, even though I pled not guilty. My court-appointed attorney was the worst. Mm. He didn't call one single uh, witness. He didn't do any investigative work. He kept trying to get me to take a plea. And, you know, I sat in the courtroom for three days, the only black face you saw, and I was convicted. I I did not do jail time. I was sentenced to probation, but that had a whole slew of collateral consequences. Yeah, Yeah. and again— and it and it forced you to understand that this work was necessary. Absolutely. Um, one thing about this podcast with um, Michael Paul and I is the reason why we're doing it is because the past is still showing up in the present, right? And in this state, um, as we are now excited about this whole cannabis industry, um, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, can you talk about... Um, as you said, that money that was allocated um, during the last administration um, and the hot ticket item that we're kind of talking about right now is the way that this administration is is kind of challenging those things. Um, Walk us a little bit through the process, especially when it comes to the laws. So so let's start from start from the beginning. Okay. Um, Virginia will not be the first in the state to actually legalize retail sales. We are the first state in the South to legalize simple possession for adult recreational use. Okay. Uh, 
that's always been challenged because there are so many people who benefit off of carceral systems. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. That's the, the first thing and the most important thing. So when the bill came up to legalize cannabis, simple possession of cannabis, um, we were talking about centering people. We were talking about alleviating the harms that have been done by the past war on drugs. Everybody admits that the war on drugs was a failure. Everybody knows that we did not approach it in a therapeutic way, the same way we try to approach the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. We know that people were sent to prison for inadequate, ridiculous amounts of time. And when we got to this this process of legalizing, there was a lot of talk. It was a huge bill. Like, you cannot go forward with legalization without really centering people. Mm -hmm. But this state wants to legalize and capitalize and still incarcerate its way out of the society's issues. So I also sit on the Cannabis Equity Reinvestment Board because social equity was the thing that everybody was talking about. Mm -hmm. How do we truly alleviate the harms and center people? But we know that that didn't really happen, right? Uh, People can say all they want, but there are people who still sit in prison with cannabis-related offenses. Mm -hmm. There are about 11 people who sit in prison for cannabis-only offenses. There are about 500 and some people who sit in prison for cannabis plus other offenses. There was no resentencing clause for those people in the, in year one. And in year two, it was defeated with the bill that would allow people to go back before a judge to be released. So we've legalized, you know, small amounts of cannabis. And we see not only did we legalized with the intent of making billions of dollars for the state, mm. we still allow people to stay in prison today. That's still Two making money later. for the state. Still right. making money. Yeah. So those people still sit in prison. There is no form of relief other than going through the governor and requesting a pardon. Mm. Um, even if we even if we take the notion that we are being decent human beings, they should not have gone two years without being considered. That should have been the first thing that should have been considered. So there's that. And then so with with Governor Northam's administration, um, decrim happened on simple possession in 2020. Decrim happened on simple possession with uh, intent to distribute misdemeanor offenses in 21. And now this new administration wants to introduce new crimes, Mm. (laughs) new crimes for possession over two ounces that go up to class two felonies. We also took the notion that killing the the bill that was the vehicle for retail market sales last year was a great thing because no new crimes were introduced. There were groups who were trying to um, get rid of three new crimes, but instead we got Let me tell you this right, because I'm going to look at it from writing so I don't misguide anybody. There are three misdemeanors that were reenacted. There are seven felonies that were reenacted, and there are two mandatory minimums that were reenacted. So we didn't get new crimes, and that's great. Clap, clap. But we got (laughs) all of our prohibition-era crimes to come back into effect because we did not pass that bill. So people are still being harmed in this system Mm -hmm. while the state tries to figure out how they make the money and don't give the benefit to the people. So that's why I fight. That's why I got in this fight. That's why I um, was appointed to the board, because the Cannabis Equity Reinvestment Board was the vehicle to make sure that the 30 percent in revenue that was allocated to the program went to the right people. We have to we have the task of making out a plan so that people aren't taken advantage of so that they're not just shell companies for larger organizations to take advantage of them. But we really want to sit wealth into communities that have been 
disregarded yeah. for years. And it's not just about single people and their families. We're talking about K through 12 education. We're talking about recovery programs. Mm. We're talking about reentry programs. We're talking about HBCUs. Mm. We're talking about looking at people who lived in historically disadvantaged communities for years, even if they don't live there now, we're going to have to look at who was there when policing was enforced at a higher rate in certain communities and is still being disproportionately enforced. We know that when we go to the point where we're pushing these new crimes, we know where policing happens. Mm. Everybody got in an outrage and got to marching on Monument Avenue, and they were saying, well, why aren't are the people from— Gilpin Court and Wickham and Mosby and all of the big six out here because we see the police in our communities every day. Every day. <laughs> yeah. Nobody was outraged that there was over-policing, over-incarceration, over-sentencing, and over-charging for people that live in those communities. We didn't have the time to come to Monument Avenue in March because nobody shows up for us when we live here every day. I lived in Mosby for three years, and I see police more in Mosby than I've ever seen them anywhere on Monument Avenue. So... You know, I wasn't a big marcher, but I was fighting. Yeah. I was fighting. Everybody has their role in this, and it's cute to be before the camera, but you really got to be about getting into the nitty-gritty of the work the so work. you understand how people are really being exploited through this process. Yeah, let's talk about the work, though, um, because I, from the person that's on the outside, because, you know, I fight for other things. This, that's not my lane, but I'm cheering for you. Um how do we understand it? That's our. That's the, the first question. What should we be paying attention to, number one? Number two, um, how, who else needs to be involved in these conversations? And, and let me say this. As we are watching people grow their four plants, right, as we are watching some of our friends um, get out of one industry, because people can grow their own plants and maybe doing something else because they still got to get by. Can you just kind of give me a little bit of for the, the everyday person that that wants to help, that wants to get involved and they don't know where to start? What should we be paying attention to? Who should we be calling? And what are those little things that we, we might not be seeing that y'all are seeing every day? So average everyday person, you have to you have to filter the information that you're seeing. This work is bigger than a hashtag. Mm -hmm. You really have to know who to trust in this game because there are people who are exploiting the people by means of weaponizing their blackness. Mm -hmm. And it's not really about the people. It's really about their own centered self. Mm -hmm. So make sure that the information is accurate. You trust but verify. So when you hear things, when you see things on social media, even from me, mm -hmm. check the source. Mm -hmm. Go back to it. It is always written in our legislative body, what is real information. You have to be willing to check your source yeah. because we spread so much disinformation, not just about criminal justice systems, but about everything. Yeah. Disinformation is everywhere. You can read this thing and you can cheer it on and you can retweet it, but make sure that you check your sources because you will find that some things are put out with great intention to spin the story. Mm. Average everyday people, um, Paul McLean down in Hampton does a boot camp. This is the perfect time for people who want to get involved in this process to start the process of writing a business plan, mm. figuring out what ancillary businesses are. And that means it's not a dispensary that you want to own, but maybe you want to do real estate for you cannabis. You're talking about getting involved with the cannabis industry mm -hmm. for a profit that's legal. Yes, okay. for a profit that's legal. <laughs> yeah. You have to know what is legal because right now we are getting put 
people, people of Virginia are being put in a gray box and we don't know what is going to happen over the next four years because they're clearly starting with targeting small crimes. And it seems minor, right? Mm -hmm. It seems like, oh, I'll never get caught in that. But two ounces is not a lot. Mm -mm. We still have the issue about an open container. You have to get a lock box or at least lock your glove box and know your rights. Yeah. Participate in some of these know your rights trainings that we'll be doing over the summer and spring and fall. And we'll keep doing because people need the education. And you can check us on the information, too, because we do a deep dive into what is real. And I don't have I don't have a stake in this. My stake is about people. Yeah. I don't stand to gain a dime or a dollar, but I want people to be safe and educated to be able to make their own decisions. So if you're looking at building capital to start this business, because the licensing is not cheap. Mm. Start now. Yeah. Get involved with uh, SWAM and get some business coaches through. SWAM um, is small women and minorities. Um, I'm only going to just kind of jump yeah. in just so because it's a <laughs> national we're on a national platform. And I just want to make sure that the audience understands the, the, the language you're speaking. Sorry, so, yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> no, I'll keep go. going now. I'll keep go. going. Yeah. But, um, you know, get some business coaching. Mm -hmm. Start building your plan now. Don't wait until they say, we're going to legalize on September 1, 2024, and you say, oh, I got to get a million dollars together. Mm. If you start now and you start raising capital and you start working your business plan out, we don't have to rely so much on government. But I, I urge, I urge these legislators, these lawmakers, our governor to be intentional about providing the resources for small businesses, for our hemp farmers who are out in rural you know, Virginia or wherever they are yeah. for for people who really should benefit off of this plant. To get them prepared now, if we're not going to be if we are not going to be intentional about getting these bills passed so that people are are not harmed by all of the crimes that come behind not getting the bill passed last year or this year, because all of it kind of runs together. Um, be intentional about getting your setup in place now. Don't depend or rely on the government to do it because there is no guarantee that they are really censoring people. We have to take the initiative as a community to uplift each other because this cannabis business is an ugly business. Mm. There are a lot of people who are out for self and they really don't care if you've been harmed by the war on drugs. It is your it is your position to say this is a business that I want to get into. And it, it is also your job to do a market analysis, to know if this is really the business for you. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to get involved, and everybody had an issue with the limitation on licensing. And, and then there was an issue with the oligopolies. Well, let me give you a breakdown of what that means. Come on. There are four medical processes in the state of Virginia. There's Columbia Care, there's Dharma, there's Juicy, and there's another one that I'm forgetting. But there are four. We have five actual um, health service uh places in Virginia. One is vacant. But they started selling legal can medical cannabis back in about 2018. Um, they generate revenue for the medical cannabis base. And I think there are about 42,000 people who are registered patients right now. Mm -hmm. And there's a backlog. I believe they said they were registering about three to 4,000 people a month. Mm -hmm. That means that <clears throat> those medical uh, oligopolies are making money anyway. When uh, the bill for retail sales for medical cannabis failed, they still get another year to continue to generate revenue. Mm. 
So we didn't save anybody from the, the larger companies making money because they are still allowed to make money. And they're the only place where you can legally acquire cannabis. Yeah. You know, and, and that was something that was really personal because uh, I helped my mom. My mom, alongside her nurse practitioner, got her medical card in 21 when she was diagnosed with lung cancer. Now, before all that, my grandfather had uh, lung cancer in 2012. I used to come up here and roll up for him. Mm -hmm. Statute of limitations is over. I don't know what y'all going to do about it. But that was the <laughs> only thing that gave him an appetite. That was yeah. the only thing that allowed him to eat. Wow. And, you know, I, whole, I wholeheartedly believe in this product mm -hmm. as something that gives better health benefits than the opioids and the chemo and things that they were dealing with at the time. So with that said... We, we have to make sure that we have the tools necessary, just like any other business. When you have a business idea, you have to make sure that all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted and you do your research for yourself. So we're talking about the, the larger industries. They're still generating money. The bill fails or the bill passes. They still generate money. They're not losing anything by small businesses and social equity applicants not being able to enter the market now. What it does is let people sit in prison for another year and a half mm. until we go to another General Assembly session. It makes the small uh, and social equity licensed applicants wait it out another year while the larger companies still generate money. And do they have to apply again and pay additional? Is there any fees involved with that? Oh, there's fees involved. Okay. Um, haven't quite worked out what the actual fees are, but it'll be a good amount. Okay. So it's, it's time for people to get their ducks in a row if they are really, truly interested in being in this business. We also fail to give the generated revenue to all of those groups that I talked about earlier. K-12 education, reentry, mm. recovery, HBCUs, um, communities, parks and recs, things that have been historically disinvested from. We're talking about making sure that they get funding but that doesn't happen if we don't have we don't have the funds to run the board that I sit on. Like the Cannabis Control Authority board still meets and they're still working out the framework. Um, the Cannabis Health Authority board still meets to work out the framework. But we are in a holding pattern because there is no revenue to be generated. Mm. You know, so it, it's nothing to celebrate that um, the bill didn't pass. But what I will say is it should have passed with a better process. Mm. People were upset because it really wasn't doing what it said it was doing. We, we have to make sure that we legalize it right because you get one time to get this right. Yeah. You get one time to really center the people that you say you're working for, not put it in a huge bill that um, can manipulate the wording because— if we're saying it centers people, we've really got to work to center people. Yeah, People have been left out of the conversation. They have been put last in this conversation, and, and that's a problem for me. The, the criminalization, the continued criminalization, and the growing criminalization is a problem. We should not be beholden to continuing to be incarcerated for something that is being legal across the country. Yeah. We're on the cusp of the Moore Act passing and having federal legalization. And Virginia is still saying, how do we lock people up for something and make money off of it? Real quick, After the Monuments is proud to thank Team Henry Enterprises for their support of our show. 
Team Henry Enterprises is a black-owned contracting firm specializing in office, retail, medical, multifamily, and higher education construction of all scopes and sizes. In the wake of the George Floyd protest, Team Henry is the very firm contracted by the city of Richmond to take down the Confederate monuments in Richmond and by many other municipalities to remove other Confederate monuments around Virginia and throughout the Southeast. Learn more about Team Henry and how they can help your community rebuild, renovate, or design at TeamHenryENT.com. One of the things that you said, and I had to write it down because I don't, I don't, I've never heard anybody say we're benefiting off this plant. Hmm. You know, like you, you simplified it to a, I mean, exactly what it is, a plant that um, my generation is, is, is scared still to even talk about the fact that for all the reasons that you said your, your, your mom or your grandfather should have been taking it, like we still don't even talk about the fact that you know, so-and-so uses it or so-and-so been using it for years and, and all the taboo that's around it. And it, and it kind of goes back to the bigger conversation of there's some people out there that are benefiting off of it, never even thinking about going to jail when they, when they light up or roll a joint. But there is a whole community that is still terrified by it. Can we get into it a little bit? If we, if we come out of this conversation about cannabis and we think about policing historically. Mm -hmm. We know where enforcement happens. The same laws apply to everybody across the Commonwealth, but is there the same justice? There's not. Mm -hmm. There's simply not. You see policing happen in, in communities that live below the poverty line all the time, and they say, <clears throat> this is where the crime happens. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. I used to live in, in uh, Norfolk for years, mm -hmm. and I, I'm a barber. I'm a licensed barber by trade. Mm -hmm. I used to have guys come into the barber shop who would be high out of their mind, and they would do peel parties, and they would do this thing called chasing the dragon, where they snorted pills, and they would have parties where they would go to their parents' house and dump all these pills in a bowl, mm -hmm. and and just get high. They taking all kinds of things, uppers, downers, Viagra. You don't know what you're taking. They just put it in a bowl. It's all colorful. It's cute. They never had to worry about police. Mm. Where I, li I, I lived in Mosby for three years, I lived in Gilpin for about four years. I saw the police every day, multiple times. That, that stopping first thing that everybody was, you know, up in arms about in New York, we have it here in Virginia. Mm. It's, the, it's the same when you walk across the police and the, walk across the street and the police stop you and say, hey, what are you doing here? Tell me what you're doing as if you don't have a right to walk down the street without being stopped yeah. because you look suspicious, quote unquote. So we know where enforcement happens. So we know where crime seems to be the highest. And, you know, we, we have to push back on media a lot because we hear this thing called black on black crime and we don't hear white on white crime or Asian on Asian crime or Chinese on Chinese crime. But we know crimes happen in the vicinity where you live. Yeah. We know that it is commonplace to do that. But when we're talking about stigma, we got to talk about how we really look at things. Who sees the police the, the most? Mm hmm. The people who see the police the most yeah. are opt to be stopped by the police the most. Who, where do we see roadblocks in our communities for DUI checkpoints? We see them on Gordon Road, which is by the Crab Lady. We see them in Southside. We see them where we have poverty lines that are drawn at the lowest amount. And all the places that you're naming have, like, but also 
there, there are parts of, of Richmond and Central Virginia that are known to have high levels of non-black populations there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm from Richmond. Richmond is where I'm born and raised. That's my city. But it's happening all across the state. Mm-hmm. It's happening all across the country. Those who are the least resourced are policed the most, which means that you see them in court the most. They're paying the most out of pocket to to uplift public safety. Mm-hmm. But who who's being safe? Who is being maintained in the safety level? We historically put the highest amount of money in our public safety line budget item, which doesn't just include policing. It includes our EMS, our firefighters. It includes, you know, Capitol Police and all of the things. But who is benefiting from public safety? Mm. And if we're being completely honest, the population that I serve and work alongside, when they are released from incarceration, when they come out of those courts with these new felonies— they are often disregarded in the conversation as if we are not part of the general public that deserves safety. Yeah. Mm. Taking away the resources to be successful means that we rely more on social services programs. We rely more on Medicaid programs. We rely more on TANF and SNAP, and we rely more on uh, financial aid. We, we rely more on things that shouldn't be. So I want people to understand this and break this down to a syllable because there are people who disregard all of this talk because it doesn't impact them because mm-hmm. they don't smoke, they don't indulge, they don't have a, a care in the world about getting involved in this industry. But let me tell you how it does. Mm. Your tax dollars yeah, pay for prisons. Yeah. Your tax dollars pay for all of the social services programs that people benefit off of when they are intentionally pushed out of the economic empowerment conversation because of a crime. Mm. We are talking about disenfranchising people based on criminal activity, and everybody's not guilty. <laughs> we have a new set of crimes every July 1, and sorry, with our special session, sometimes it's September 1, sometimes it's January 1. Mm. It's been changing. We have a new set of crimes every year based on our part-time General Assembly, but nobody goes back and says, how did we mess up in the past and how do we correct these issues? Yeah. I heard a legislator say on the on the Senate floor, maybe last year in one of the special sessions, there are not many times when people get to go back and correct a wrong that they have done in the past. That is not a common thing. Mm. While I applaud that legislator who told us in a private conversation that people don't always deserve expungement, they need to crawl before they walk, and expungement is something that just uh, hides the ball. He came to a, a light bulb moment that said, we get this wrong sometimes, mm-hmm. and the state never admits wrong. If we think about the pardon rate, if we think about uh, a, there's a simple pardon process that does absolutely nothing for people but say that the government forgives you for whatever indiscretion you were convicted of, there's, there's um, a conditional pardon that applies to people who are incarcerated, and Governor Northam really kind of pushed that over the line this year by releasing more people than— any other governor, but there's an absolute pardon. This absolute pardon is something that says that the the government got it wrong mm. and they are rectifying that by alleviating this thing from your record so that you should no longer be denied housing, uh, education, employment, 
access to being a foster parent, access to being a volunteer, mm. ha being able to chaperone your kids on field trips, being able to receive organ donations, not not distribute organ donations, because if you have a crime, if you've committed a crime in the past, nobody cares if you give organs away. But if you are the recipient, sometimes your crime impacts whether or not you get that Organ. I didn't know that. So there are wow. a lot of things, there are a lot of nuances, but in this absolute pardon, less than 1% of Virginians receive an absolute pardon because the governor, government, not the governor, rarely goes back and says, We were wrong. We were wrong. 100%, we made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So um, think about that. Think yeah. about how you pay for that, even if you're not directly paying for it. It affects us all. Like, it affects yeah, us all. I mean, you broke that. You, you broke that down in a way that I, I've never. I just never heard of all of those things that you. I mean, it's. I call it getting. If you got an F on your report card, there's a lot of things you can't do, right? And and that's what you're discussing. You're talking about if you have a felony charge, mm -hmm. some of these things will be you know denied to you, and then how other people that aren't paying attention to these things, you're still getting affected by it. Um, as we are kind of wrapping up this conversation, and again, I am just thankful that, you know, you took the time to, to break all of this down. You talked about the boards that you serve um, on, and there are, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm kind of trying to figure this out, too. Are there numerous boards that have been developed? Because there are three of boards. This? There's three boards. Mm -hmm. um, do they all have a gateway to our, our Virginia legislative system? Um, do they all report to? Are these all separate boards outside of? And then also, could you also please give any um, shout outs or, 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 or recognition to any individuals? That, and, you know, the first one that comes to my mind is my very first interview here at RTD. I never thought that my very first interview would be with Najist, uh, you know, <laughs> like and that was during um, uh, election night. But it was a hot topic. Um, and, and so I'm just thankful for the work that she does. But. And in this last part of the conversation, let's talk about the boards and the organizations that are out front doing the work. So the three cannabis boards are the Cannabis Control Authority Board. They make the administrative decisions. Um, we all are at the behest of what the legislators do and what authority they give us. They make the overarching decisions about um, public safety and cannabis, what things happen, where revenue goes. The Cannabis Health Authority Board, which niggas serves on— um, manages the medical program and the health pieces. Uh, we all collectively have a goal to make sure that this thing is legalized right. The Cannabis Equity Reinvestment Board makes the decisions about where the revenue goes, who gets what, um, making sure that the licensing process is one that really centers people, really um, gives people the tools that they need to be successful when the, when the actual retail sales start. And we collectively have a goal to make sure that Virginia does not follow the um, same steps that other states have followed. And, and I say that because social equity is always pushed, right? We always hear centering people, social equity. Nowhere in this country has a, a social equity program been successful in, in the sense that people have the revenue they need to get started. They, they make the money that they expected to make in the process, and they were not overrun by things like um, administrative tape, being able to bank, being able to have somewhere to store your money. It really has not been as successful as people think. Mm -hmm. And if we really want to be intentional about getting this right, our goals are to get input from the general public 
and produce what the public wants, not just what a small group of people want. So Nigga Sabibi, public policy, she is the vice president of public policy for Columbia Care. She also serves on the Cannabis Health Authority Board, and she is an all-around brain of what policy is. Uh, J.M. Padini, um, I serve on the VA Normal Board. They have been doing this work for 20 years, and a lot of people don't know that. Mm. They don't think about that. And a lot of people, you know, get caught up in the lines about white-led, black-led, blah, blah, blah. But if you've been doing it for 20 years with your head down, then guess what? You are probably the subject matter expert. We are talking about organizations like A Better Day Than Yesterday. We are talking about Bridging the Gap in VA. We're talking about ACLU of Virginia Legal Aid Justice Center was my partner in making sure that the first expungement bill ever that passed in the state of Virginia for convictions got passed. We made history in 2021, and it was completely glossed over like we did nothing (laughs) because there was a bill to repeal it this year that Mm. failed. Um, But we keep fighting to make sure that more people than not can benefit from record sealing that hasn't started and won't start until about 2025, because Virginia State Police has never upgraded their system, Mm. and they're working on um, upgrading their computer system, and it will take a few years. But we made history in 2021 by getting the first um, record sealing bill. Expungement is a whole nother topic that we could spend a whole nother hour on and the nuances of how the state keeps us in a carceral state. Mm. But um, there are a ton of groups out here doing the work. Help me help you, Michelle Mosby. And I'm going to be honest, a lot of people are out here working and grinding and don't have the luxury of being on social media all day saying they're doing the work. Um, Justice Forward is one of my partners, Sisters in Prison Reform, uh, the Humanization Project. There are groups that are out here grinding and don't get the credit for it, don't get acknowledged for it. Um, But when you see it and you clap for it and you see other groups come in and say, yeah, we did this, we just keep it moving because we got to work and we got to focus on the end goal of breaking down as many carceral systems as possible. And while it seems to you that you clapped it up on July 1, 2021, when we legalize, think about the impact of those who don't have the luxury. And I'm talking about people who rent, who can't just grow four plants in their backyard Mm. because they may be penalized or they may lose their place of residence. We're talking about people who rent... Sorry, y'all. People who rent, who can't smoke inside their homes. So if they Mm. go out on the sidewalk, they're subject to being stopped. Mm. We're talking about people who drive in certain communities who used to get stopped and pulled because of the smell of cannabis. And they can't get that done because Justice Forward fought hard to make sure that pretextual searches were not able to be used as a means to search people. But we know the truth. We know that in our communities, it still happens no matter what. And if you go before a judge... The judge is going to take the word of the officer when the officer said, I smell cannabis. Mm -hmm. But how do we prove otherwise? Right. So be vigilant. Be careful. Mind the business that minds you. You have to educate yourself on things that you don't necessarily care about, things that you don't think impact you directly, because one way or the other, they do. They do. And, you know. You have to follow no left turns because I make, I make moves all over the place. 
This is just one small percentage of the things that I do. Yeah. I really work every day. I live, breathe, and sleep. How can I break down a system tomorrow? How can I get somebody home tomorrow? So we get involved in, you know, all of the processes and it may be high level. I'm not an attorney. We don't do post-conviction services, but we do support people as they're being released. And I need y'all to know that 95 to 96 percent of people who go into Department of Corrections come home. They are our neighbors, brothers and sisters. Stop acting like those people are outcasts and don't exist. Stop fighting against making sure that people have the tools necessary to stay out of incarceration. Because the fact of the matter is most people who go into systems are arrested for things that should not be crimes. And then there are people who are far removed from the resources and expected to thrive. We got to think about how. $7.25 725 was our minimum wage for years. Then it went to $9. Then it went to $11. And there's a fight about whether or not it'll go to $15. But it all boils down to rent is $3,000 in Blackwell. When, where, <laughs> where my cousins used to live in the projects, there are apartments that are $3,000. And we also have to think about how these justice systems treat people differently. Because the person who has the property that is $3,000 on 18th Street and Edwards in Blackwell has the luxury of, you know, fighting his, his trial. But I'll go to jail for having a joint in my par- pocket. So wow. let's, let's think about the injustices in these systems and make sure that we're fighting for our neighbors, not just ourselves. We got to come out of the bubbles that we live in and think about what it means when people don't have the resources they need to be successful and they end up going to crime. And I'm going to say one last thing, and I want you all to just be vigilant and be aware. We, we took the notion of having a drug court docket and we took the notion of having a behavioral health docket, which is necessary because people should not be criminalized for their substance use disorders and they should not be criminalized for their behavioral health issues and you should not have to go into handcuffs to get care and service. We do not have a docket for people who live in poverty. We do not provide wraparound services for those who got in trouble because they were less resourced. Mm. We have to be able to create a system that provides the resources people need before they get put in handcuffs. So that's my word. That's what I talk about every day. And if you know me, you've heard this all before, (laughs) but I'm happy to share with those who haven't heard it. Yeah. This podcast is about past and present. And um, those systems were put in place before the monuments got up. It's time to dismantle some of these systems as those monuments have come down. And you were doing that work. And so if you have any last things that you want to share with this audience, um, website, how to get involved again, this is going out nationally. Um, make sure you share that. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm just so excited that your voice is, is on this platform. So April is second chance this month, y'all. Mm-hmm. I want y'all to, to think about um, how you can be a vehicle to make sure that people have the resources they need. If you are an employer, if you are a housing manager, please reach out. We are always constantly looking for partners. That includes behavioral health services. That includes anybody who will serve people who have past convictions or past justice involvement. This is the time to get involved. This is the time to look at your DEI policy and say, do we include people 
who have past convictions or justice involvement because we are part of this system too. And most of my friends, most of the people who I know who have served, we have a 0% recidivism rate since 2016. Mm. Um, This didn't just start in the summer of 2020 for us. This became something that happened um, in 1989 when I was 10, really, but in 2012 is when I really got involved and I was super hesitant about doing a nonprofit organization because the, the nonprofit industrial complex is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I want to say is No Left Turns Inc. on everything. No Left is spelling backwards and turns is T-U-R-N-S. I-N-C is the N. You can find me on social media on everything. Our website is being updated because somebody who volunteered to update the website (laughs) dropped the ball and we're working on that now. Um, But you can always reach out. And the biggest thing that I want you all to know is we are people. We are not felons. We are not ex-offenders. We are not ex-convicts. We are people, and my last name is Williams. Um, I am a mother. I am an educator. I am a barber. I am a graduate, proud NSU alumni. I serve. I am a small business owner. I'm a nonprofit executive, and I have a felony conviction. I am not the felony. I am the person. Treat people accordingly. Sheba Williams, No Left Turns. You are listening to After the Monuments with Kelly Lemon and Michael Paul Williams, a real talk about race. We'll see you next time. After the Monuments is a Virginia Video Network production and produced by Matt Pacilli, Michael Paul Williams, and me, Kelly Lemon. Technical direction and editing from Bill Barksdale. Executive production from Paul Farrell, Diane Salvatore, and Paige Mudd. Will Royer provides studio support. Our artwork is by Krishna Mathis. I'm Kelly Lemon, and we'll see you next week on After the Monuments. Huge thanks to Massey Cancer Center for being our After the Monuments sponsor.